or do we look for another? Jesus answered and he said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Hmm. I just want to preach from this title and this perspective here today. Not how I pictured it. Not how I pictured it. Amen. Before you're seated today, why don't we just one more time lift up our hands. We're just going to pray that the Lord would speak to our hearts in this house. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we just pray that you would arrest our minds and our hearts, Lord, everything in us, Lord, that we could uh, be in tune with what you are trying to do, God, that we could allow your spirit, Lord, to move on us and change us. Lord, I thank you, uh, God, that uh, when we walk into this room, God, that you are already here. You're already present. You're ready, God. You're more than willing to come and to meet us right where we are at. Lord, I pray that you would help both those that are in this room, those who are watching uh, via live stream. Lord, that you would just bless and anoint us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated today. Have you ever read a book and it didn't end the way that you thought it would end? Or maybe maybe you were old enough that in 1980 you packed into a movie theater alongside everyone else to watch the second installment of George Lucas's Star Wars. And you were as surprised as anyone when Darth Vader called out to Luke Skywalker and said, I am your father. Because that is not what you were expecting to hear. I think that in both mystery and thriller novels and movies, it is the element of surprise that keeps our attention. And in a way, we are hoping for that. We may even find it boring if that does not happen. If there is no surprise, we'll say that is unless you are a fan of those Hallmark Christmas movies because every single one of them has a career woman who is not expecting to find love. But then there's this scene with a gazebo and a charming bachelor who teaches her about the true spirit of Christmas. And though you think it's never going to work out between them, uh, it always ends up working out between them, and it begins to snow, and then there's a kiss, and everything works out. And you know exactly what's going to happen before you ever sat down for the movie. And all, even though it has a different title, it's always the same movie, and you've watched it. If you've watched one, you've watched them all. And I see some fingers being pointed right now. So unless Hallmark movies are your thing, the element of surprise and things happening in a way that you didn't picture them is exactly what you want. It's exactly what you're hoping for. That is, unless it's the reality of your life. And in that case, you are hoping, and many are even expecting it, to play out just like a Hallmark movie. The way that you pictured it is exactly how you expect it to play out. The problem is, it almost never 
seems to work out that way. The truth is, life often ends up in a manner far different from the way that we pictured it. And if you want an example, then you could just ask John. See, John, he, uh, Scripture tells us that when John was still in his mother's womb, that the Holy Ghost moved on him, that he was full of the Spirit of God, that his mother Elizabeth could feel him physically leap inside of her when pregnant young Mary came to visit her, that she knew that her unborn son could recognize the Son of God who was himself still yet unborn. See, John's ministry was one of preparation. John's ministry was all centered on the purpose to get the hearts of the people ready for the Messiah. As John's ministry progressed, he asked God to give him a sign so that he would know who was the Messiah and when was it the turn for the Messiah to take over and for him to decrease. And so God told him that the sign which he should look for was a dove that would descend upon a man. And so that very sign appeared one day when John baptized his cousin, Jesus, in the Jordan River. And that dove began to descend upon Jesus. And John knew once again that Jesus was the Messiah. It confirmed something in him that he already suspected. That Jesus Christ, his cousin, was without a shadow of a doubt the Messiah. The one that he had been waiting for. The one for whom all of Israel had been waiting. Now, it was his turn to decrease so that the ministry of Jesus could increase. See, John was a man devoted to God. John was a man who knew why he was here on earth. And it was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. It was time then for John the Baptist to step out of the spotlight so that Jesus' ministry could flourish. And yet... Even in stepping out of the spotlight, that did not mean that John would just waltz away into the sunset and never speak again, because John did continue to preach this message of repentance. He continued to this burden of responsibility that he, he felt was upon him to get the attention of the people in Israel and to, to get them to recognize that they needed to get their lives in order, that they needed to set some things right with God. And this call to action was to the very normal, everyday people there in Israel. But it also included people who were much higher up, people who had a very lofty political status, people like King Herod. And Herod, it turns out, was a sensitive fellow. He didn't like being called out for uh Divorcing his wife and marrying his, having his brother killed and killing his, or and then marrying his, his brother's wife. And he didn't, he didn't so much like being called out for these actions. And so King Herod, he, he decides that he's going to put a stop to this renegade preacher from out in the wilderness. And so he locks John up in prison. And so that's where we come to this passage that we opened with. We already read it, but I'm going to just read again these first three verses from Matthew chapter 11. It says that it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. 
Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? So, this is not the first day that John is in prison. He's been in there for quite some time. We don't know exactly how long, but here he is. He's in prison. And what else do you do in prison but think and think and think and overthink? You analyze your situation. You map it all out. You know, this is how I got here. This is where I need to go. That, you know, it usually plays out this way, but there, there seem to be some wild cards in play this time that may cause some disruptions to that. You know, I don't know exactly what the next step is. If, if this happens, then that's gonna happen. But if that happens, then, you know, this window of opportunity may be shut and, you know, I need to, I need to go and, you know, I, I need this to take place, but, but it doesn't look like that's gonna take place. And we begin to think through all of these things when we just are there by ourselves. We think, we think, we think, we overthink. And sometimes, if we are honest, we can get ourselves into a prison of our own mind. That anxiety takes root and fear grips us and uncertainty rules the day. And here we are in prison. Terrible situations put us there. Mistakes that we made, failures, whether of our own accord or somebody else, and and sickness, disease, sudden loss of life, the loss of a job. There's all kinds of things that can send us in a tailspin and put us in a prison to a place where we begin to think and think and think and overanalyze and overthink. The things that you knew were true, you now question. Your analysis of the situation has led you to more questions than answers. And you used to know up from down, but now you're unsure. And and all you have now is you sit there in the prison of your mind in this place where you've just been thinking over all these things because you don't know how to get unstuck from your situation. Now you're questioning things that you never thought you would question. You see, John, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew that before he was born. When he was born, his parents told him. When when he began his ministry, God told him. The dove confirmed it. He was certain that Jesus was the one. He was certain that he knew Jesus was the Messiah, that there was no doubt in his mind about that. Yet, now he was in prison, and the doubt began to creep in. He began to contemplate some recent events. He started thinking about the ministry of Jesus more and more. And and so having access to a few of his loyal disciples, he asked them, would you just go to Jesus and ask him, just pose this question that is really on everyone's mind. Are you the one or should we look for another? He wanted to hear it from Jesus. He wanted to know, Jesus, are you the Messiah? See, John knew that Jesus was the one, so why did he need to ask? But so did you. So why do you ask that question at times? You you knew and you know that Jesus is the answer to your problems. You were convinced of it. But when we get into a prison and things aren't how you pictured them, that voice in your head can begin to scream out and say, are you sure? 
That the very God who, who he's been there time after time after time. And then when all of a sudden things aren't as we pictured them, we begin to ask, God, where are you? Are you real? Have you abandoned me? Things that you never would have questioned before. But then as things seem as though they are not as you pictured them, we begin to question things that were settled for us. And we begin to ask these questions. Am I sure that Jesus is the answer? Am I sure that the church is where I belong? Am I sure that God loves me? Am I sure that everything I used to be so sure of, am I certain of it now? The fact is, things for John were not as he pictured them. John knew that, that Jesus was fully capable of fulfilling the role of the Messiah, but there was just one problem. Jesus wasn't being Messiah in the way that John pictured him to be the Messiah. So not only is John in a place where he's not, no, this isn't how he pictured his life, sitting in prison, but also Jesus isn't being Messiah in the way that he pictured him to be Messiah. He didn't seem, Jesus didn't seem to have any political motivations. It didn't appear that he was on any trajectory to overthrow the Roman government. He wasn't even trying to set them free from Herod's oppressive rule. Here he was, you know, John's understanding of the Messiah was of a man who would come in and would finish the work that he had started. And he was bringing them to a place of repentance is what John was doing. But the one who would come after him, the Messiah, was supposed to plunge them so deeply into the presence of God that judgment would then be meted out and they would be set free. And this is the expectation of what the Messiah would do. But now John begins to question these things. And of course, Jesus ultimately will do just that, that he is a judge. He is a righteous judge. It tells us in John 3.17 that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the reason Jesus came was not for condemnation, but it was for salvation. That's why Jesus came. And John, he might have believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but it sure didn't seem to be taking place exactly the way that he pictured it. He pictured a Messiah who was hard-hitting. He pictured a Messiah who would condemn the world for their sins just the way that John condemned the world and called them vipers and all kinds of things. He pictured a Messiah who was much different than Jesus. He knew inherently that Jesus was the one, but here he is asking the question, should we look for another? And if we're honest, a lot of us have asked that same question. When things are not as we pictured them, we ask the same question, should I look for another? Things are not how I thought they were supposed to be. So God, where are you at? And so I just want us to, to look at what did Jesus tell these disciples that John sent? He said to them, tell John what you have witnessed as you have been with me on this day. He says, you today, you have seen the blind man whose sight I restored. You saw a lame man receive strength back into his legs when I reached out my hand and I prayed for him. You saw lepers, not just one, but you saw several individuals who had leprosy be healed and cleansed of that terrible disease after they came to me seeking help. You saw the deaf who came to me and their ears were opened. There was even a dead person that when you saw me, Saw them brought to me. They had no life in their body. And yet I prayed for them and they raised back up to life. See in this message, 
I'm not preaching it just to the rich. I'm preaching this to the poor. This is for everyone. What I am preaching. Go and tell John just what you're seeing with your eyes. Tell him all of these things that you've witnessed. And he's going to know for certain. I'm the one that he was waiting for. His doubts can be cast aside. I may not be exactly how he pictured me to be, but I am the Messiah. I am the one. You see, Jesus didn't stop there. After listing all of these things, Jesus, he tagged one more thing onto all of that. And he said, I want you to tell John, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Out of all those things, this one seems to be somewhat out of place. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Jesus, why'd you tag that on? Now, I can, I can just imagine John sitting there in prison, receiving this news back from his disciples. He, uh, even in prison, was able to have some kind of communication with his disciples. And so they came back to him, and, and they tell John of all these things that they had witnessed. They tell him, you know, Jesus, he wanted you to know that blessed is he who is not offended in him. And in that moment, I can just picture John looking up and saying, tell me. When you saw the blind man receive his sight, were there other blind men who were not healed by Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, there was this, there was this one blind lady off to the side who she wasn't healed that day. John, because asking this question, were there any lame men who didn't have their legs healed? You know, now that I think of it, there was that one lame guy who was off to the side who he, he, he walked away or he, he wasn't able to walk away that day because he wasn't healed. Many, many of them, you know, they were healed, but that one wasn't. Oh, and I assume, I assume that Jesus, he isn't raising everybody back to life, right? His disciples say, no, there's, there's still a lot of funerals that are taking place. Not everybody is living forever. Jesus isn't raising everybody back to life. You know, why, why do you ask these questions, John? I can just picture him processing all of this what's taking place, and then this smile just come across his face as John begins to realize. He says, I understand what Jesus means when he says, blessed are those who are not offended in me. Because you see, John was never going to make it out of that prison. He was never going to make it out of that prison alive. And I'm sure that's not how he pictured his life going. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't picture his life even being in prison. I'm sure that he didn't picture it with him losing his life and having his head chopped off. But that's exactly what we read that happens to him in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 3, it says that Herod, he had laid hold on John and he bound him and he put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said to him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. When he would have put him to death, he, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before him. And it pleased Herod and he, he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask and she Being before instructed of her mother, she said, give me John the Baptist's head on a charger. Now the king, he was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, 
And then which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given to her, and he sent. He beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came, took up the body, they buried it, and they went and they told Jesus. See, this is not how John pictured it. This isn't how I pictured it going for John. This isn't how John pictured his life coming to an end. This is not how his his disciples pictured it coming to an end. But this is how his life played out. And so the question for us today is, when things in life aren't going how we pictured it, how are we going to respond? As we come, as as we came into a a new decade this this year, I, I remember just a few years ago, uh, the, you know, churches, we oftentimes are pastors. We come up with, with vision statements for the year, different things that we want to do. And, and, uh, 2020 just seemed like such a, uh, an e like, like a softball, like, of course, 2020 vision, right? We're going to have 2020 vision. And you came into that year and it was, uh, it's very ironic that 2020 vision, we didn't see the greatest disruption to life that would ever happen coming as COVID took place and it like completely changed our lives for at least you know a, a time that that COVID it was it was there and it was like this this life-changing thing that happened and it like life was not how we pictured it coming into this new decade the question is how, how do you respond when things happen that you did not picture it going that way? How do you respond? And our response has to be a response of faith in God. Trust in God. Having faith that God is in control, that God knows what he's doing. And so I'm just putting it out here for you today. I don't know what you're going through right now, but if your life is in a place where this is not how you pictured it, just hold on to God. Don't let go. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Don't live, par- don't live paralyzed with fear and anxiety over situations that are completely out of your control. Have faith in God. See, I know that things may not be as you pictured them, but have faith that God is still with you. He hasn't left you. You have not been abandoned. God is right there with you. Don't let go of him. Don't let go. He's not going to let go of you. So how will you respond when things are not as you pictured them? See, Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended in me. And I understand that this is easier said than done, but we must not be offended when God doesn't seem to come through when we expect him to come through. When we have a picture of how life ought to play out and yet it takes a turn that we neither expected nor desired, we can't be offended by God. See, I just want to bring a few things to light here today as, as we begin to bring this to a close that, that hopefully can help us to keep perspective in, on our picture versus God's picture. See, we need to understand that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And what does that mean, that, that God is sovereign? That, that means that, that God, He reigns as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
that God, he created everything. He set the sun, the moon, the stars in their place. He made the earth he, in the fullness thereof. God, he created man. He breathed the breath of life into man. He, he, is, he is not a vengeful God who rules harshly with his creation. But no, he's a God of love. He desires relationship with his people. But he is also the ruler. And, he's, and he is going to rule as he sees fit. And I understand that this fact alone can cause us at times to wonder why a good God would allow bad things to happen. Why would he allow the good life that I had pictured in my mind to play out in a way that was not so good on so many occasions? And that question has shaken so many people. It could have shaken John. But Jesus told John beforehand, don't be offended in me. See, the reality is, it's sin that causes all, all of the destruction, all of, all of evil, everything. It is not God. Without God, sin would, would leave us hopeless. Without God stepping in, sin would, would completely destroy us. Without God, sin, it would, there would be no love. Without God, there would be no peace. Without God, there would be no hope. Without God, there would be no refuge. Without God, there would be no, no tower that you could run to. Without God, there would be nothing that you could cling to in your time of feeling hopeless. But God is the place of refuge. See, God is a sovereign God. God knows all things and he does all things well. And when Jesus told John, he says, don't be offended in me. He's saying, yeah, I healed many, but I didn't heal them all. I raised some of the dead, but most I did not raise. I set some captives free, but others remained in prison. I intervened in the death sentence of some, but others had the death sentence come to completion with their head being served on a platter to the queen. And I don't always know why. But God, you're a good God. And I'm not going to be offended. He's a good God. That doesn't mean that only good things happen to his people. That doesn't mean that only good things will happen in life. And so we must learn to accept the sovereignty of God and trust that God's ways are perfect. God's ways are perfect today. See, we need to understand that there is, or we need, to, we need to have for ourselves an eternal perspective on life. An eternal perspective that our life here on earth, it seems to be, you know, the only thing that we hold on to at times. And so we try to put all of our eggs in one basket. Uh, and and we, we want, you know, things to happen a certain way. And, and when the reality of Scripture says our life is a vapor, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. You think, when you think about eternity, how much do the hardships of now really matter? <laughs> See, I, I, I love the honesty of David. And this is somewhat of a long passage here, but as we, as we come to a close, I want to read this, this psalm in Psalm chapter 73. The honesty of David where he looks out on life and looks out on other people and he says, certainly God is good to Israel and to those who are whose motives are pure. But as for me, my feet, they almost slipped. My feet, they almost slid out from under me. For I envied those who are proud as I observed the prosperity of the wicked. Because 
They suffer no pain. Their bodies are strong and they're well fed. They're immune to the trouble common to men. They don't suffer as other men do. Their arrogance is their neckline and violence is their clothing. Their prosperity causes them to do wrong. Their, their thoughts are sinful. They mock. They say evil things. They proudly threaten violence. They speak as if they rule in heaven. They, they, claim, they lay claim to the earth. Therefore, they have more than enough food to eat. They even suck up the water to the sea. They say, how does God know what we do? Is the sovereign one aware of what goes on? Take a good look. This is what the wicked are like. Those who are always, uh, those who always have it so easy and they get richer and richer. I concluded, surely in vain, I have kept my motives pure and I maintained a pure lifestyle. Here I am, I suffer all day long and I'm punished every morning. If I had publicized these thoughts, I would have betrayed your loyal followers. When I tried to make sense of this, it was troubling to me. But then, here's the turn. Then I entered the precincts of God's temple. And I understood the destiny of the wicked. Hmm. Surely you put them in slippery places. You bring them down to ruin. How desolate they become in a mere moment. Terrifying judgments make their demise complete. They're like a dream after one wakes up. Oh Lord, when you awake, you will despise them. Yeah, my, my spirit, it was bitter. My insides, they felt sharp pain. Here I was, I was ignorant and I lacked insight. I was as senseless as an animal before you, but I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me by your wise advice, and then you will lead me to a position of honor. Whom do I have in heaven but you? I desire no one but you on earth. My flesh and my heart, they grow weak, but God, you always protect my heart. You give me stability. Yes, look, those far from you, they die. You destroy everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is all that I need. (laughs) I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter as I declare all things you have done. See here today, the truth is, as I've said already, but as I bring this to a close, in fact, if we could stand all around this place, if I could just present two more scriptures to you that tell us of our purpose of why we were ever created in the first place. You ever wondered that? You know, why am I here? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. Everyone, or even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. I've made him. You were created so that God could get glory. And then Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So according to Isaiah, and according to John the Revelator, we were created for God's glory, and we were created for God's pleasure. This is not to say that you are merely pawns on God's chessboard being moved from here to there. But no, God, He cares far too much about you simply to use you and to abuse you. God, He wants to heal you. He has great plans for your life. God, He desires the best for you, but He also created you for His glory. So I leave you with this here today. I want you to know that whatever you're going through, if life does not look like you pictured it, God is still there. Whatever you're going through right now, God's going to get glory. 
whatever you may be, may be facing right now, let's just give God glory. See, God, as you're faithful, that faithfulness gives God glory. Your faithfulness to God in the midst of your trial, He gets great pleasure in your steadfastness. You were created for His pleasure. See, God, He created you with a free will, and you can choose to do whatever you want. And so whenever you're going through the tests and the trials, when you say, God, I'm going to stick with you. When I look around, it may look like others are being blessed when they don't deserve it. But when I look at it it with an eternal perspective, I see that you are the only one that I should cling to. Well, life right now may may not be how I pictured it, but I still trust you. I'm not going to be offended by you. And God, if I trust you today, then would you, if if you trust him today, would you just put action to that trust right now? Would you just put some action to that trust right now? We're going to go into a song here right now. And we're even going to prepare for a baptism. If somebody wants to be baptized in Jesus' name here today for the remission of their sins. Well, as we do all of that, as we prepare for that, why don't you put some action to your words, some action to your belief right now that God is good. And that even though things aren't as I pictured them, I still trust you with my whole heart and my mind and my strength. Why don't you just make a few steps up to this altar right now? Well, that's an action that you can take that says, God, here I am. I trust you. I love you. I have faith in you. Well, why don't you come right now in Jesus' name? Christ is my friend.